You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, we're going to be looking back on Arsenal 1, Chelsea 2 at the Emirates Stadium in the latest of our pre-season friendlies, part of the Mind series, of course. And it was great to be back at the Emirates Stadium. I've got to say, look, I know the result wasn't obviously what we wanted, uh, there were some worrying aspects of what to what we saw today, and we'll come on to discuss those, and we'll discuss some of the positives as well, because I think there were a few. Uh, so plenty to get through on tonight's show, but just wanted to start off by saying how great it was to be back at the Emirates, to see uh, lots of you guys there, to see fans in attendance. It felt like normal. Um, it really, really did, and it was great. Obviously, the Emirates Stadium wasn't full. The upper tier was was unopened, but the middle tier, the club level tier, uh, was, had a fair amount of people in it, as did, obviously, the lower tier. So a pretty good turnout. I'd say there was probably about, if I'm guesstimating, I don't know, fifteen to 20,000 there, maybe. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But that's what it looked like to me. And obviously, I'm not... Um, I'm not saying that's completely accurate, but that was what I would probably estimate. But yeah, it was great to be back. Um, it was great to to see some familiar faces and it was great to see Arsenal in the flesh. And of course, we have to give a mention to the Arsenal women who I thought played really, really well against Chelsea um, in the game that took place before uh, the Arsenal men. And of course, uh, Arsenal running out 2-1 winners in that one. Uh, really, really good performance and they were really uh, in control and very, very dominant on the day. I know that one was a little bit strange because both sides, didn't they, had lots and lots of people missing uh, due to the Olympic Games. So it was, for me, who's not massive on the women's game and doesn't really have a great knowledge of it, I would struggle to probably tell you what sort of difference and impact that some of those players being missing uh, would have made, but it was an enjoyable watch. I thought was interesting to get a close look at the women's game. As I say, I don't watch that much of it. Uh, so for me, it was an eye opener. I think the technical level um, has really improved since the last time I really sat and watched a game of women's football, um, which is great. And uh, long may it continue and long may the game continue to grow. And as I say, we'll be bringing you some content on the women's game uh, across the course of the season. But I'll be bringing somebody on to do that with me who has a much better understanding and knowledge, as I say, of the Arsenal women and the current setup. But we move on to the men, which is what we are here to talk about. And um, as I say, fantastic to be back. But obviously, we came away with a bit of a disappointing result. Now, I've been very kind of big during this preseason in saying that let's chill out. It is preseason. Don't get carried away. Don't overreact when there's no need. Don't read into the results too much. And and I, I'm going to put that out there right at the beginning of this podcast because there are a few things that, despite my kind of attitude towards preseason friendlies, that did worry me from what I saw today, that do concern me. And I want to talk about those things, but all of it is with the caveat of 
I'm not upset that we got beaten in a preseason friendly, right? It was the big return to the Emirates Stadium for fans. Of course, I would have preferred Arsenal to have come away with a victory, but it wasn't to be. It wasn't to be. And for me now, this show and what we're going to do on this episode is we're going to look a little bit deeper into some of the concerns that I am starting to have as we head towards the big kickoff. Now, the kickoff is, what, 12 days away for Arsenal Football Club. And um, we need to improve on last season. There's no doubt about that. There's no getting around that. Arsenal need to be better. Arsenal need to be more competitive. And when you look at some of the issues that we saw today, I can understand why some people are maybe a little bit worried at this moment in time. Let's go on. I'm going to share some screenshots with those of you uh, listening or watching via YouTube. But don't worry if you're listening on the audio, I will explain everything. If you want to check out the video, then you can, of course, head over to our YouTube channel uh, to get those visuals as well. But I want to start with Chelsea's opening goal. And Arsenal lost the ball on 25 minutes. And it was Thomas Partey who had carried the ball into a dangerous area. Well, no, didn't carry it into a dangerous area. He carried the ball uh, towards the Chelsea defence, who were really well set up. Obviously, Thomas Tuchel playing with that back three that he always plays with and the two wing backs, and then having that midfield screen in front of them. And Partey's touch just took him into a challenge. But you can see in this screenshot that I'm sharing with you now, you've got Thomas Partey pushed right up. Obviously, he had the ball in, in possession. He's lost the ball there. And what have you got around him? You've got Callum Chambers, who's bombed up from right back and tucked infield. You've got Rob Holding, who's also pressing on the man that's just dispossessed Thomas Partey. And in my opinion, Mohamed Elneny, who was almost playing the Granite Xhaka role today uh, from the beginning, um, caught too far up the pitch. Uh, and leaving space in behind him. Now, when Arsenal lose the ball here, the minute they lose the ball and Rob Holding and Callum Chambers are unable to close down the man in possession, Arsenal are in serious, serious trouble. The ball is helped on uh, to Timo Werner, and Timo Werner's got so much pace. And once he gets into this position just inside the Arsenal half, Pablo Marie has no option but to move across the pitch to confront him. Mohamed Elneny struggling to get back. Kieran Tierney struggling to get back there. Nowhere near Kai Havertz, who's made that run uh, towards the centre. And once Timo Werner squares that ball a little bit further up the pitch, there is no mistake there for, from Kai Havertz. He's that good. He does take an immaculate touch and then he pulls off a brilliant, brilliant finish. Now, for me, this is a, a, a problem where Arsenal have tried to be too keen in the press. Arsenal have almost tried to be too aggressive here and they've lost the ball and they've been caught out. Now, I would argue, and a lot of people might disagree with this, but I would argue that Granit Xhaka doesn't get caught that high up the pitch, not as high up the pitch as Mohamed Elneny does. Now, we know that Kieran Tierney is 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 asked to do that, don't we? We know that Kieran Tierney is always going to do that, that he is going to um, he is going to bomb up on the left-hand side. And part of Mohamed Elneny's role as the left-sided player of the midfield, of the double midfield pivot, is to plug in those holes and fill in those gaps that Kieran Tierney leaves. And he simply doesn't do that this time. Now, he's not helped by the fact that Rob Holding has gone wandering into midfield and Callum Chambers has done it too. But once this ball turns over, Mohamed Elneny's chasing back. And of course, so is Kieran Tierney. And none of them can get there in time to deny Kai Havertz, who, as I said before, took an immaculate touch and finished it uh, emphatically, beating Burn Leno and putting Chelsea 
a goal to the good. Uh, I can see a couple of you in the chat asking me why my screenshot was from uh, Chelsea TV. Well, it's because Arsenal.com haven't put the bloody highlights out at the time of me making this podcast. That's why. Uh, I didn't want to go there, but it was on their YouTube channel. And Arsenal, as I say, are yet to release it. Uh, I wonder why. Uh, so there we are. That's the first goal. And I just going back to that original screenshot, you can just see it here. Arsenal were carrying the ball forward with Thomas Partey and they've just tried to be uh, a little bit too aggressive in terms of squeezing Chelsea back. As I say, uh, Rob Holding trying to step into that midfield, trying to follow up in what Thomas Partey's doing. Callum Chambers tucks in as well. He's too far up the pitch. Kieran Tierney, you can see right on the far side, playing like a left winger. And with Mohamed Elneny uh, not fully aware of Kai Havertz in behind him, He's playing catch-up the minute the ball gets to Timo Werner and he plays it across. And from then on, Chelsea were only going to score, weren't they? So a little bit disappointing to get caught out in that way. Uh, it's Arsenal, as I say, trying to be probably too aggressive uh, in that particular situation. Let's move on. Uh, I'm going to show you guys another screenshot of an effort that Emil Smith-Rowe had. Uh, on the half an hour mark. And if you remember this, Emil Smith-Rowe got to the edge of the box just inside the D and he unleashed the foot left-footed. It came uh, back off Edouard Mendy's post. But the reason I've put this one in the package and and, and we're discussing it is because I want to show you guys what Thomas Partey's done here. Now, Thomas Partey is maybe six or seven yards to Emil Smith-Rowe's right. He's on the edge of Chelsea's penalty area. And what Thomas Partey's done here, which I don't think he did enough last season, is that he's been a little bit more adventurous in his runs. We've talked a lot about the double midfield pivot. And I do think that when you've got the right players playing it, um, you know, and it works correctly, the idea is that someone like Thomas Partey can get that a little bit further forward. And Thomas Partey certainly does this here. So although he doesn't receive the ball, and although the ball ends up coming off of Edouard Mendy's post, I thought it was really interesting to see Thomas Partey making that kind of run and making it a lot more frequently. I thought prior to Thomas Partey going off, he was really, really impressive today. I think he's been quite good in um, in preseason overall, and it was kind of heartbreaking almost to see him go off the way he did because I think a lot of us had really looked at him during this preseason and gone, yeah, you know, this is the Thomas Partey we signed. And if he can stay fit and if he can overcome the problems he had last season, then we could be in a really strong position with a really good midfielder in Thomas Partey. And now it would be more about finding who partners him, whether that be an internal solution or whether that be uh, going out and getting someone in. But I think a lot of people will look at what's happened to Thomas Partey today uh, obviously going off with that injury. It wasn't a very good challenge, I have to say, from Ruben Loftus-Cheek. And in a friendly, I don't think it's necessary, if I'm completely honest. Um, so I was left feeling a little bit frustrated and disappointed by that. I guess you can't tell people to not be competitive. The idea of these friendlies is that, you know, the players are trying to get up to speed, up to scratch. Everybody wants to be ready for the big Premier League kickoff in a couple of weeks' time. But just when you see... A an injury come as a result of a challenge like that in this kind of fixture. It is frustrating and, and I find it a bitter pill to swallow, I've got to say. So not at all happy uh, with Ruben Loftus-Cheek's challenge there. But just going back to Thomas Partey, the update from Mikel Arteta is that he's spoken uh, to the doctor and it is not looking good. Thomas Partey's going to have a scan tomorrow. 
So I'd imagine in the coming days, we're going to find out a little bit more about the severity of this injury. But from what Thomas Partey uh, has told Mikel Arteta, from what Mikel Arteta has told the press, it doesn't look um, it doesn't look good for Arsenal with regards to the Ghanaian and his fitness. And some people uh, are reporting at this point that he could be out for four to six weeks, which is a massive blow because we've all sat here all summer and worried about the player that's going to play alongside him, haven't we? And we know that Granit Xhaka is staying. Now we'll come on to talk about Granit Xhaka in a little bit. Uh, but it was all the focus was on that position. I think we kind of overlooked the fact that uh, it's so important Thomas Partey stays fit. I can see a few of you in the chat box saying that he's injury prone. Leon Dyer uh, says that he's too injury prone. Interestingly, Thomas Partey during his time at Atletico was very rarely injured. So I don't really, I can't look at this one and say, Arsenal, you knew that this guy was very injury prone. He's shown it throughout his career, yet you still went and took a, a humongous gamble uh, in the size of £45 million to bring him to the club. Because as I say, prior to his arrival at the Emirates, he was never injured. He was very rarely injured. And um, and it makes it all the more frustrating that since he's come to the Premier League, he is breaking down left, right and centre. He tried to continue after initially going down today, but it just wasn't happening. And Granit Xhaka, who'd only trained, I think, a day or two with the team since his return from holiday, was then called uh, back onto the, uh, well, was called into action, wasn't he? A lot earlier than I think Mikel Arteta would have originally planned. Let's continue through uh, some other moments and incidents in the game. And then uh, we will talk about the little about the Granit Xhaka situation and the update on his future in just a little bit. Um, I just wanted to highlight another moment, 41 and a half minutes on the clock, where Chelsea broke forward again. And it was again the same thing. Mohamed Elneny not really filling in that position in the way that he should be. And you can see in this moment here where I think it was uh, Hakim Ziyech and Timo Werner who were uh, trying to get possession of the ball. Kai Havertz has again darted into that same position practically from where he scored Chelsea's opener. And obviously the ball doesn't get to him in the end and Arsenal deal with it. But it's another example of Mohamed Elneny being asked to almost slot into that back three in the way that Granit Xhaka did so effectively last season and not doing it correctly and causing Arsenal problems. Now, when I look at this team and I look at the team that started the game today, I don't expect when everybody's fit, Rob Holding to play. I don't expect Pablo Marie to play and I don't expect Mohamed Elneny to play. So I'm not going to go completely bonkers about this and make uh, a massive issue of it. I'm not going to say that I'm shitting bricks about the season with regards to these guys and this particular problem that we saw multiple times today because I don't expect them all to be playing. However, today it was a real, real problem. And as you can see from this screenshot, uh, it's another incident that didn't lead to a goal, fortunately, but was of the same kind of, well, it was the same problem, wasn't it? And and it's a big, it was a big issue for Arsenal today and one that they never really resolved at any point. I just wanted to bring you on to another screenshot. Uh, this is the 53rd minute when uh, Burn Leno, the ball ended up going around Burn Leno. And you can see here um, that, you know, Chelsea are basically through on goal. They're level with the penalty spot almost. Uh, the ball's about to be put into the back of the net. It was good defensive work in the end um, there. But you can see, I just wanted to highlight Ben White in this instance, who starts, what, 10 yards, eight yards from the 
edge of the penalty area and still his defensive instinct is on and he manages to get back and eventually clear that ball off of the line, prevent the ball going in and then Bern Leno pounces on it. So really, really good stuff from Ben White there to be uh, alert, to keep switched on, even in a situation where it looked like he was... Um, you know, he was never going to get anywhere near it. But he did show some good defensive instinct there. But, you know, for me, Bern Leno here is has been caught out again. And I think Bern Leno was caught out on a number of occasions today. He gave the ball away countless times. And I do worry about Bern Leno with this playing out from the back business because it's something that he struggled with under Unai Emery. It's something that he struggled with all of last season. And it's something that he looks as though he's going to continue to struggle with because he's just not that good with the ball at his feet. He looks the right type of goalkeeper, but he just isn't. He just doesn't execute well enough with a lot of those passes. And it's a big, big worry for me, I've got to say. Uh, so Bern Leno and his inability, if you like, to play out from the back is something that maybe we kind of put to one side in terms of in our minds over the last few weeks when we've been looking at other positions, when we've been looking at the centre of midfield as a priority, at right back at number 10, et cetera, et cetera. Actually, the burn Leno and playing out from the back thing is is quite a big deal and it's something that needs addressing, isn't it? Um, maybe just scrap it. You know, maybe I, I get that Mikel Arteta has a philosophy and a way he wants to play. But there comes a point where it's costing you more than you're gaining from it and you have to think twice about it. So it's a it's a real problem. I can see some of you commenting about Pablo Marie, about Rob Holding. Um, and look, they did have games as a pairing last season where they actually looked quite good. But I think the problem with those two is there's just a, a really apparent lack of pace and Arsenal will get exposed. You saw Arsenal, as I've highlighted already in the show, trying to be aggressive, trying to push further up the pitch. And when you're playing against a side with the likes of Kai Havertz and Timo Werner, especially who's lightning quick, if you push up the way we do, and if you push up with that kind of aggression, then you need to you need to have recovery pace. And Arsenal had none of that in that back line today. Kieran Tierney was basically playing like a left winger. Mohamed Oneni was supposed to be dropping in and wasn't really doing it well enough. Pablo Marie is not quick enough um, to deal with situations like that. And neither is Rob Holding. Neither is Callum Chambers either. So none of that back four were ever in a position really to deal with Chelsea's pacing behind. And in playing the way we did, in being so aggressive at certain points and at certain moments, we kind of played into their hands. And it was, uh, and, 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 you know, it's, that's why ultimately we ended up where we did. Uh, and we ended up on the back end of a, of a defeat, but you know, for me, of all the things today, all the kind of faults in the team, all the kind of issues, the biggest worry and biggest concern is the Thomas Partey thing. You know, you're talking about him now being out for maybe, you know, four to six weeks. Who are we going to start the season with in centre midfield? We're going to start the season with Mohamed Elneny playing in the centre of midfield. Is Albert Lukonga ready? I would argue that he probably isn't. You know, I think Granit Xhaka, you could probably trust and I'll come on to talk about him again in a bit because uh, I think his situation and and everything that's gone on with that and the the quotes and comments from Mikel Arteta today deserve some coverage but it's you know you you then look at that side and you say well over the summer if everything stayed as it is now and I don't expect it to I think Arsenal will do further business but are they going to do it in time for the start of the season and if not 
are we in for a really rough ride at the start? A ride that could potentially really turn up the heat on Mikel Arteta, who's already under a lot of pressure in the eyes of many, many fans. And, um, you know, is that what we need? Because we didn't really prepare properly. That's what it feels like, isn't it? Now, of course, look, you can never legislate for an injury like the one Thomas Partey's picked up today. You don't expect players to make challenges the way Ruben Loftus-Cheek did today. You don't expect players to pick up these kind of injuries in pre-season, but it happens. It does happen. And the fact that we are always literally one injury away from having a bang average midfield has been Arsenal's problem for seasons now. So to be in that position again with two weeks to go is worrying. And you'd hope that Arsenal are going to look at this now. And perhaps the, the I'm not going to say it's a good thing because it's never a good thing, but perhaps Thomas Partey picking up this injury going into the season might have actually kicked Arsenal up the backside and, and, and might force them into doing the kind of business that we need in that area. Because I'll tell you what, had... Thomas Partey not picked up that injury with Granit Xhaka now staying at the club with Albert Lakonga coming through with Mohamed Elneny in reserve and Ainsley Maitland-Niles still around the club. I wouldn't have been surprised, as I've said on recent shows, if Arsenal turned their attentions to other areas for now. But this injury might change that. This injury, as I say, might be the kick up the backside that Arsenal need to go out and address that position. Let's go back to uh, some more of the uh, screenshots. And I just wanted to show you guys uh, from here on the 71st minute when Arsenal gave the ball away uh, for what proved to be Chelsea's winning goal. And it was Hector Bellerin who played a pass inside to Granit Xhaka. And what was actually interesting about Granit Xhaka and Mohamed Elneny as a pairing in this second half, especially in the second half, I noticed it more in the second half. Xhaka was playing on the right side of the two. He was playing the Thomas Partey role. He was the one looking to be a little bit more progressive. And he did ping some really nice passes uh, out to the right, out to the left. And of course, he scored the goal, um, which brought Arsenal back on level terms. But this is the problem with Granit Xhaka playing in that place and, and trying to play in this role. You see Bellerin here, and this is a terrible pass from Hector Bellerin, okay? Because he plays the ball to Granit Xhaka who is left-footed, as left-footed as they come. He plays it towards his right and he plays it so poorly that he's played it behind Granit Xhaka and essentially killed the guy and, and plays it there for Chelsea to nick it and Tammy Abraham goes on to score. And you can see it here in this next slide where once Bellerin's played the pass, you can see he's clearly played it behind Granit Xhaka and he's put his, his teammate into serious trouble. Now, a lot of Arsenal fans who are anti-Granit Xhaka, and we know there are loads of those, will probably try and pin that on him. I don't think you can. I think that's Hector Bellerin not being able to make a simple, basic, what, six, seven at best yard pass. He couldn't do it. He's played it behind the player, who we know isn't the most mobile, isn't the quickest, takes a while to turn, and Chelsea pick up the ball in a dangerous area, and they go on to add their second and ultimately the winner. So that was really, really frustrating. But for all the meltdown, all the overreaction that's come off the back of another friendly defeat, 
Um, Arsenal actually should have had a draw. Arsenal actually should have got a point in the mind series uh, or an additional point to the one they registered for their goal. bit like the Emirates Cup in terms of the format. You get points, three points for a win, a point for a draw, but a point for every goal you score too. And Arsenal had a perfectly good goal ruled out. It was good work from Pepe on the right, and he rolled the ball into the penalty area to Joe Willock, who struck it really well. It hit the underside of Kepa Aretha Balaga's crossbar, and I was sitting right in line with the goal line, and it definitely went in. I said it at first glance. It's absolutely gone over the line. Of course, there is no uh, goal line technology uh, in, in this tournament, you know, for obvious reasons. But, you know, that was really frustrating. And you can see in this screenshot here clearly where the ball hits the ground, it has clearly gone over the line. So for all the meltdowns, all the overreaction, all the people being upset, pissed off, disappointed that we lost uh, to one of our rivals, it was, um, well, we was, I should say, uh, robbed of a perfectly legitimate goal. But yeah, I mean, coming back to to some of the concerns uh, the wider concerns of off the back of what we saw today. I think there are a number of things you've got to look at and a number of things you've got to think about. Um, before we get right into those, I just want to remind you guys that this show is sponsored by the brilliant team over at manscaped.com. Uh, so please do head over and check them out. Uh, for all your male grooming needs, you can visit manscaped.com and you will receive 20% off of your order as well as free shipping if you use our discount code, which is 90min20. You stand to save yourself a fair chunk of money and you can get hold of some excellent products. Your partner will thank you for it, I promise, or thank me for it, for recommending it. Check it out, manscaped.com. And we thank them, as always, for their very, very kind sponsorship. Just a quick reminder as well, if you haven't done so, please hit the like button. I can see across the multiple platforms, there are over 400 of you tuned in live at this moment in time. And there'll be plenty more watching this back uh, on playback or listening to it back via the audio platforms. We've only got 71 likes, though. Let's try and get that up to 150 as soon as possible. So hit the like button if you haven't done so already. And if you'd like to become a member of the podcast, you can do so by clicking on the link in the description. So I was talking about the things that concern me and the things that worry me and the things that frustrate me. And it's a point that was put to me by Mike, who was on the show with me a few days ago now. It was either Tuesday or Wednesday. And we were talking about the transfer window so far. And he said that, in his opinion, Arsenal had only strengthened the first team in one position. And and I think he's right. You know, Ben White comes into that, that defence, doesn't he? Probably alongside Gabriel when he returns. And that'll be Arsenal's central defensive pairing. But beyond that, we haven't really improved the starting lineup. Nuno Tavares has clearly come in as somebody who is going to play second fiddle and a backup to Kieran Tierney. Sambi Lakonga is obviously somebody who, um, who, you know, has potential and the club might quietly think is going to go on and, and play a really big part this season. But I'm not sure that you can rely on him to do that just yet. And so we are in a place where we've only really improved the team by one position. And that was something that Mike kind of really drove home in that episode. And, and he's right. And my kind of thoughts were, well, 
actually what probably let us down last season more than anything was not that our first 11 when everyone was available was that bad. It was that we had periods without Thomas Partey. We had periods without David Luiz. We had periods where Granit Xhaka was having to play at left back. We were missing, um, you know, Aubameyang during multiple periods of the season. And my view on it was that, well, if everybody was fit and available or we at least had sufficient cover, then we would have picked up a lot more points along the way. And I still probably do think that. But what I've kind of been realising over the last few days, the more I've been sitting and thinking about this, and it really hit me today when I was sitting in the stands watching, was what we've done is we've essentially put our hopes of getting back to where we need to be next season and qualifying for Europe in players that are already at the club, more so than players that we hope to bring in or are going to bring in. I'll give you an example. Today, I walked into the stadium and everybody was, well, not everybody, but lots of people were wearing that beautiful new yellow away shirt that Arsenal uh, have released. Thing of beauty. It's fantastic. And on the back of all of those shirts, I could see two names, two names only. Emil Smith-Rowe and Bukayo Saka. Because everybody around the club and within the club really does genuinely believe that those two, along with a few others, Kieran Tierney, Thomas Partey, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, etc., Nicola Pepe, and you can name whoever else you want, Ben White, are going to help Arsenal get back to the level that they need to be at and help Arsenal get back to the level that, that a club like this should be at. But are we putting too much faith in these young players? And are we too reliant on them taking their game to the next level that we might still end up falling short? The more I think about it, the more I think we might, because I think they are good players. They are young players. They are talented players and the world is their oyster, but they need quality around them. And quality is not just what you can do with the ball at your feet, not just what you can do physically. Quality means consistency. And I look around the rest of that team and I don't see consistency. I look at Callum Chambers, who can play it right back sometimes and look really good, but at other times can look hopeless. I look at Rob Holding, who at times can come away from games looking quite good, but other times looks hopeless. I look at Pablo Marie, another player of a similar ilk, who sometimes looks up to the job and at others doesn't. And then you got Granit Xhaka, fairly consistent to be fair to him in comparison to others, but we all know that he's got a moment in him that could cost you. You look at Aubameyang at the moment, inconsistent. Lacazette can be inconsistent. And what you've got is you've got a group of uh, young, talented players, a core, if you like, and then you've surrounded them with inconsistency. And and I just feel like, and I don't know, I didn't feel like this a, a few days ago. So it, this might be like a kind of raw reaction and raw feeling off the back of what I witnessed today. But it does feel like there is a massive hope or all the hope is being pinned on this group. And where we maybe heard reports that Arsenal were going to go and spend £250 million plus in the transfer market and get this player and that player and that would improve our squad and that would take us up to the next level. 
it feels like the the longer we're getting into this window, the more it looks like the plan is to develop what we've got more than anything else. That that is the key focus. That it is about developing Smith Rowe, Saka, Pepe, Tierney, White, etc., to the level that we need, rather than Arsenal going out and getting external recruits. Now, I don't know if that's the right way to go about it. And none of us know if that's the right way to go about it. And we won't know until we look back on the season and make that judgment and make that assessment. But it does feel to me like Arsenal, that that is what Arsenal are trying to do. Whether we like it or not, that is what Arsenal are working towards, in my opinion. So uh, we're going to have to wait and see if it works, I guess. Let's get some of your questions in the live chat box. I'd love to hear from you. Get some questions in and we'll go through as many of those as we possibly can uh, for the next sort of 15 minutes or so. I can see there's over 400 of you watching us live right now, uh, which is brilliant. So make sure you hit that like button if you're watching us on YouTube. Um, Subscribe to the channel if you're new as well. We're on the way towards 15,000 on YouTube and we'd love to get there as soon as possible. So yeah, let's um let's go into the chat box and see what you guys are saying. Uh Guna Legend off the back of what I was just saying there about the team and maybe what the club are looking to do. I, look, I, it's been it's been obvious that you know they are looking at the long term. It's been obvious for a while. It's been obvious that Emil Smith Rowe is someone that they want to keep and they want to see develop and flourish. And yeah, they've given him the number 10, Bakayo Saka being tied down, Kieran Tierney being tied down, Ben White being invested on as I say it's is obvious that Arsenal are looking toward the future and towards building this but I, I guess maybe I'm going to word it a little bit better now than I did previously I guess for me it's starting to feel like all the pressure is on those guys and that anybody that does come in is going to be part of the supporting cast rather than focal to what to us trying to improve and and that's my my worry a little bit you know I just walking around the stadium today, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Look, support your players, support the youngsters coming through, support them, they're local lads, it's great. But I just, it, it dawned on me how much pressure Emil Smith-Rowe is under this season, especially for the time being without another number 10 in, at the club. To, for him to be wearing that number 10 shirt, for every kid to have his name on the back, there is a real level of expectation there. And Mikel Arteta is going to live or die by what happens with regards to Saka, with Smith-Rowe, with White, with Tierney, these players who he's put all his faith in. And that's fine if that's the way he thinks he should do it. And that's the way the club think they should do it. But I just think we do need some more proven, um, and I'm not going to use that that crap phrase that everyone uses, Premier League proven. I want to see proven footballers come in that can enhance that and help nurture the talents of these young players that we're talking about. You need the right balance. Nobody ever won anything with just kids. It's good to have that right blend, that mixture of youth and experience, players developing and players who are the finished article. And I think that I'm, well, I'm starting to get worried that we're going too much towards the youth route that we might overlook the fact that we do need a bit more of that experience, a bit more of that steel within the camp. 
Right, let's uh, take some of your questions. Let's see what you guys are saying. Apologies if I've missed some of them. If I have missed a question, chuck it in the chat box again um, and I will pick it up. Uh, let's go back to the Xhaka thing, Marble Halls TV now. Mikel Arteta has said post-match today that Granit Xhaka is staying at the football club, that he's not going anywhere, that he is part of the team. And of course, uh, Granit Xhaka, he sort of reached for the badge today when he scored his goal uh, in front of the North Bank. Marble Halls TV says, question about the Xhaka thing. If he stays, then isn't that just grifting when he said openly he wants to go? He hinted that he wanted to go. Um, he did. You know, there's no getting away from that. He he did do it. He hinted that he wanted to go. And I think that what's happened here is that, look, Granit Xhaka has been a player who's divided opinion at Arsenal for as long as he's been here. He's always been a divisive figure. There's always been debate around whether he's good enough. And I obviously that kind of poor relationship with the fans hit boiling point, didn't it? Um a couple of years ago now in that game against Crystal Palace and it looked like he was a goner and to his credit he's bounced back and I actually think since then he's probably played his best football in an Arsenal shirt now I do believe that Granit Xhaka would move if the right move came if the right offer was on the table then Granit Xhaka wouldn't shut the door on it he'd be open to it we know that based on the comments he was making uh, with relation to the prospected move to Roma. But that deal is not there because Roma won't pay. Roma won't stump up the cash. So Granit Xhaka, if he's been made to feel valued by Mikel Arteta and his staff, he's going to get the new contract, then he's, he's, he's within his rights to, to sign that because the club want him. The players uh, around him obviously speak very highly of him and so does Mikel Arteta. And it's clear that they see him as part of the future moving forward. Yes, he, he wanted, you know, he hinted that he wanted to go. And I'm OK with that, you know, because it shows that he isn't just here happy to coast along for a wage. You know, the fact that he did think about a move away um, shows that he is, I guess, you know, wanting to do what's right for his footballing career. But if Arsenal can make him feel loved, then Arsenal can offer him what he needs. And 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 more importantly than all of that, than all of the Granite Xhaka side of things, we need him right now. We really do need him right now because we've talked about the midfield. El Nenny, not good enough. Sambi, we'll get there, but isn't there yet. Thomas Partey, constantly breaking down. Granit Xhaka is so important to this side. I don't think it's a bad thing if Arsenal um, sign him up and keep hold of him. And I don't think it's, um, it's the disaster that some fans would have you believe. I think it's a smart move at a time where it's going to cost us probably triple what we'd get for him to replace him, let alone upgrade on him. And um, and that's where I'm at. You know, I think that Granit Xhaka is probably quite pissed off at Roma, who have made this interest public, who have been chasing him in the way that they have, only to completely uh, take the piss when it comes to their offer and essentially show and signal to the player that despite all the crap Mourinho has supposedly been saying to him, Actually, they don't really want him that much. If they did, they'd have stumped up the cash and they haven't. So, um, yeah, I haven't got an issue with him staying. I think it's, I think it's a, he's, he's the best of a bad bunch at the moment. And I don't think he's the first player that we should be looking to move out. I think you've got to be looking to move out others before you start knocking on Granite Xhaka's door because he's not the worst by any stretch of the imagination. 
Let's see uh, what else we've got here. Uh, Josh Hunter says, based on Sambi's performance today, do you think he should start in the pivot with Xhaka against Brentford? I wouldn't base it on today. Um, I thought he was okay today, but I didn't think he was as impressive as he looked in some of the other preseason friendlies. Obviously, though, you know, this was against Chelsea. This was against the European Championship champions. Uh, listen, I'm, for me, I'm I'm not an Elneny fan, you know, and I've highlighted earlier on in this show some issues with the way he played the game today. I don't think Elneny is as bad, though, when he's not being asked to, to drop into the defence the way that Granit Xhaka normally does. And I know that Granit Xhaka and he switched roles a couple of times uh, once Thomas Partey went off and it was a little bit confusing. But I think if Xhaka sticks to that left side of the pivot, drops into those holes, then Elneny can do an okay job in the middle. Um, and, and you know, I don't know if I'd throw Sambi in uh, on the first game of the season like that. I'm not sure uh, if I'm honest, but I, I would probably just about lean towards Elneny just because I haven't seen more of Sambi yet. But, you know, if Mikel Arteta feels that he has seen enough and that he is up to it, then I won't go mad because, as I say, I'm not sure that Mohamed Elneny gives us what we need in that position or in any position in midfield or in anywhere on the pitch, actually. Uh, Adrian uh, says, hi, Harry, love your analytical view on Arsenal. Just wanted to ask what you think of Kai Havertz. I have a feeling he's going to have a breakout season. Massive fan of Kai Havertz. I think he's an excellent player. Um, he got a lot of stick last season. Young player coming over from Germany was hit quite badly by COVID as well. Uh, Kai Havertz, and he took a lot of criticism, as I say. But look, he turned up with a massive clutch moment at the end of Chelsea's campaign, winning them the UEFA Champions League, crowning them champions of Europe. I watched a fair amount of Kai Havertz the season before last when I was working for a short period of time uh, on some Bundesliga coverage. I was commentating on some Bundesliga games and I saw him four or five times in a Bayer Leverkusen shirt. And I said to, to everybody that asked me that I think he's a really talented player and I think he's got uh, another couple of levels to 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 go up to. And I think he will. Um, so, yeah, really, really impressive player. And Chelsea are lucky to have him. Uh, Inter sorry, says, uh, for me, that's why they have to employ a top-level manager like Conte who can get the best of what he's got. Do you agree? If the club aren't going to back the manager properly. Yeah, look. I'm not going to argue Antonio Conte is a is on a different planet to Mikel Arteta as a manager. There's no doubting about that. Um, you know, I, I truly believe that. But Antonio Conte, if the club aren't backing the manager properly, Antonio Conte isn't going to stand for it. Now, I'm going to reserve the whole the club aren't backing him properly talk until the end of the window. I always say, let's see what happens. But, you know, Based on what we've done so far, you know, yes, we've spent what probably fifty on Ben White, close to twenty on Lakonga, and what eight nine on Tavares. So in theory, Arsenal have spent fifty, say seventy, about seventy eight million pounds, but they haven't strengthened more than one position in the first team, which is why we're a little bit uh, sort of underwhelmed at the moment. And I get that, but let's see how that goes between now and the end of the window. Um, I know I missed the super chat earlier on, so I just want to find that uh, from Carve, who says, Harry, do you think Arteta has realised during pre-season that Aubameyang is finished and decided to target Lautaro Martinez, hence why we were only linked last week? 
interesting theory. Um, look, I'd love to see Lautaro Martinez come to the club. I think it's one that if Arsenal really want to do it and have the finance to do it, it can be done. Inter can be broken on this because of their financial situation. But I'm not optimistic right now about Lautaro coming. I'd love him to. And I know there are lots of reports and those reports are getting louder and louder and they're being reported uh, further and further afield. Everybody's picking up on it now, but I'm not sure uh, that that one is is realistic. But we'll have to wait and see. Big thank you to Carve though, for your very, very kind Super Chat donation. Thank you so much, mate. Uh, let's go back to the live comments section and take some more of your questions. Um, lots of questions on the Xhaka thing, and I, I'm going to kind of stay away from that a little bit because I do think we've kind of really discussed that in a lot of detail over the last few days. Do I think it's the right decision to give him a new contract? If you're not going to go and spend in excess of 35, 40 million pounds on another centre midfielder, then it is the right thing to do. Um, in an ideal world, I don't think I'd give him the contract. I think I'd probably just leave him there. He's got two years left and see how it goes at the end of next season. But you've got to look at the player's side of this as well. And Granit Xhaka wants to be made to feel welcome, wants to be uh, part of the plans and wants to know that he's part of the plans. And in his eyes, he, the contract tells him that Arsenal do see him as part of the plan and part of the future. And and that's the thing, you know, sometimes as from a club perspective, we don't want to give contracts out. We don't want to pay players this much wages. We don't want to pay players that much wages. It's like a Bamiyang. People say, you know, that we, we're overpaying him. Well, if you want to keep him at the club, that's what it takes and you've got to do it. And at the time he signed that contract, we were all bloody delighted. So you can't now circle back and say the club were completely wrong. You can say it hasn't worked out as maybe the club had hoped and as we had hoped, but you can't say they were wrong or or really lay the, the, the criticism on thick, in my opinion, because we'd all have done the same at the time. I know I would anyway. Uh, Patrick says, what did you think of the partnership between the Smith and Pepe? I've got to say this nickname of the Smith is growing on me uh, when it comes to Smith Rowe. Look, I think Smith Rowe, He's incredible. I think he carries the ball so elegantly and sort of, and when he drives into the right areas, like we saw him do on numerous occasions today, we saw him win the ball back on two, three times today, quite high up the pitch and then just drive at the heart of the Chelsea defence. The first time was when he got that shot off that came off the post. And there was another time in the second half where he'd done exactly the same thing. He won the ball really high up the pitch and he just direct towards the goal. But what I love most about Emil Smith-Rowe is I think his decision-making is top-notch. He picks the right passes all the time. And when he plays them, he executes them brilliantly. The right weight, the right angle, everything. And there was a moment where he put Nicolas Pepe through today, wasn't it? And um, unfortunately, Pepe wasn't able to score. But I think Smith-Rowe is so intelligent that he can develop understandings with everybody across that front line. That's why I think he's such a big asset. Um, and look, I talked about us maybe being a little bit over-reliant on the likes of him and Bukayo Saka, Kieran Tierney, who's another one whose fitness worries me. But, you know, you can't help but get excited about their talent. I just think probably as the manager, you need to look at it from a slightly different lens. We as fans can get carried away with the homegrown talent, what they can achieve. The dream is, isn't it, that they all carry Arsenal back to glory. But I think as a manager you probably got to weigh it up a little bit more and in a little bit more detail. And I think that Mikel Arteta, 
I'm not going to say he's got it wrong because we don't know yet, but I think he's in danger of placing so much emphasis on the future and developing the side that, you know, we might not be able to achieve the levels that we need in the meantime. And if we don't, I'm not sure how much longer he'll be given. Uh, Zeb says, uh, is Oba still in a bad patch or is he no longer a top, top striker? Is it still possible for him to find the strike? Is it still possible for him to find the striker that he was two seasons ago? I didn't think Aubameyang was that bad today. Um, a lot of people have criticized him off the back of that performance. I know he missed a couple of opportunities. There was one late on, wasn't there, where he probably should have equalized. But I actually thought he did some good things today. And I thought he looked a lot sharper than he has done recently. I like the way he tracked back today, especially in the first half. I thought he did that really, really well and helped out where Christian Pulisic was coming down Chelsea's right. Um, and there was one moment which was just classic Aubameyang for me uh, in the first half. And it was Aubameyang, Partey and Tierney who all combined. And it was Partey with a chip ball out to the left. Uh, Aubameyang had pulled out to that left-hand side because he started from a slightly left position today. Drove in field with the ball and then played like a little reverse pass to Kieran Tierney. He was bombing on on the outside. And then Aubameyang, as soon as he plays that pass, just sprints head down into the penalty area. And that's what I want to see Aubameyang doing. Those links, those subtle kind of combinations. It doesn't need to be too elaborate. It doesn't need to be five, six touches. Just lay it off and get yourself in a position that we know you can do damage from. As I say, I thought Aubameyang was more lively today than he has been in a lot of recent games I've seen him playing. Uh, so for that, I will um, I will give him some credit today. Alex McCarthy says, what are you most concerned about this coming season? For me, it's the failure to rebuild the starting 11. Same mistakes and Arteta overall is struggling, but he's hiding it well. Yeah, look, we've talked about the, the starting 11. It needs more than one improvement. That's for sure. Um, you know, I think that I've, I've probably, you know, I have talked about the fact that I think a lack of depth in certain areas was our biggest issue last season. But there's no doubting that that starting eleven could be improved upon, and quite significantly. For me, the mistakes are a worry because it's the same players who make them, and like. I'm not saying you should drop players off the back of one mistake because if you did that every week, you wouldn't have a team to pick from. But I do think that we've just, we've got into this air in this place where we've got like, like Burn Leno, you just can't trust him to play out from the back. And that's not happened over a month or two months. That's happened pretty much since he joined the football club. And then you've got like Hector Bellerin, like Hector Bellerin doesn't want to be here. We want to move him on. You've got Cedric sitting around on the substitutes bench. You've got Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who you could potentially put in that right back. And you've taken Callum Chambers off and brought Hector Bellerin on. I mean, why? Hector Bellerin doesn't want to be here. We know that everybody wants him out. He doesn't want to be here. He plays a stupid, sloppy past, and he couldn't really give two shits about it, could he? Because he knows his future is not at the club. And that kind of stuff frustrates me with Mikel Arteta. Um, and I think the more we see these same players who we know don't have futures at the club, involved taking up space and causing us issues like Bellerin did today. That's why people get frustrated and angry and disappointed. Darren Nichols says, hi, Harry. Uh, do you feel these next 30 days will be one of the biggest times in our club's history? We're going nowhere at this moment in time and changes must happen. If not, I am very worried going forward. Yeah, look, I think the this month is going to be massive for Arsenal. 
we've got a tough start as it is, and we'd have preferred to be prepped and ready and had the players that we want to sign in through the door. It doesn't look like that's going to happen at this point. Um, it looks like we're going to start the season with a depleted squad without Thomas Partey, possibly without Gabriel as well, which is another big blow in the heart of the defence. Mikel Arteta, not very optimistic about him uh, returning for the Brentford game. So um, that's another issue there. And then some of the positions that we do need to address, we haven't addressed yet. So yeah, it is it is worrying. And I keep on making this point and I keep going back to it. It's Mikel Arteta is already under pressure for next season. He was under pressure for the new season before the last one had even ended. And so if we go into the new season ill-prepared, which it looks like we might be, then that is going to draw immense criticism, particularly in his direction and in Edu's direction. And then you're always swimming against the tide. You're always fighting back um, against the noise. And, and I, I just think that's an unwelcome distraction. It's not good for anybody. But if we go into the season ill-prepared, then where else do you point the finger? You know, it's the manager and the, the technical director, Edu, who are over, overall responsible for making sure we get the right players in and do the business that we need, those guys need to take some accountability for that. Uh, Banos says, uh, question, Harry, do you think if we take the armband away from Aubameyang, it will better his form, less for him to worry about and more time to focus on his form? Honestly, uh, I don't think he should have got it in the first place. Um, and I think once you give it to someone so high profile and someone who is one of your best players, supposedly someone who is obviously on massive wages, you've just tied down to a mega, mega contract. I think it's a bit of an insult to take it away from him. I agree with you that he's not the right man for that responsibility, for that job. But I just think it's a decision that is kind of irreversible now. If you take it off of him, I think he gets the hump. I think he sulks and I think it probably does more damage than good. Uh, what else have we got? Let's see. Um, Steve Stone says, should Arsenal go all out in the remainder, in the remainder of the window to blitz our midfield? That's the biggest issue for me. I've said it over and over again. Um, that I really want to see us improve in the midfield. Yo-Yo uh, says, uh, does it now make sense why Arsenal are chasing Ramsdale, of course, uh, in response to the Burn Leno talk? Look, I'm not sure that Aaron Ramsdale is that good at playing that way. I've read reports that and scout reports that say he is, but, you know, did I watch Aaron Ramsdale every week last season? I didn't. I couldn't really really tell you if i'm if i'm being honest um but you you know arsenal need another goalkeeper anyway question is is it going to be someone to play instead of burn leno compete with burn leno or is it going to be someone just to fill up a space on the bench um orlu boy says why this useless tactics all over again does our tactics have any other style of play why are you backing this man knowing he cannot change his tactics why do we lose and he keeps playing this same way I don't think we did play the same way as we've played against Chelsea in the past under Mikel Arteta. And when I highlighted that a little bit earlier on, I'll just bring it up again uh, for those of you who maybe are joining us a little bit late. But just going back to, to what you're saying, you said we played the same way. Ars the Arsenal that beat Chelsea in the FA Cup final a year ago to the day were not this aggressive in the way that they pressed. Arsenal sat with a back three and they soaked up pressure and they looked to expose Chelsea 
uh, using those wide channels and pulling a Bamiyang in from the wide position into the middle. But this was Arsenal trying to be too aggressive. This was Arsenal trying to force the issue more than they've ever done against one of the big six sides under Mikel Arteta. We're always very conservative under him in these type of fixtures and people get the arse with that. But this time, Arsenal did try and force the issue. You can see Partey, once he loses the ball, Rob Holding is caught up because he's trying to be aggressive in his positioning. Callum Chambers too, Mohamed Elneny as well. And Arsenal get caught out that way. So I disagree that Arsenal are playing the same way. Um, I think Mikel Arteta is trying different things. That's, I guess, what preseason is for, but it's also a little bit frustrating uh, when you see the results not go your way. Uh, Walad says that it's not a friendly meltdown. It's just the same defensive errors from last year. And I guarantee you it will continue to happen. If you're not worried, I don't know what kind of stuff you are smoking. I, I've said throughout this show that I've got a number of worries. Um, and I'm not saying they weren't there before. They were in the back of my mind. Of course they were. But I think watching Arsenal today in the flesh and going back and kind of coming away and trying to analyse and assess what we've seen there and looking at it from quite a high up position. I normally sit North Bank lower. I was up in the club level section today. It's got a very different view to normal as well. And I found it um, quite alarming how easy it was for Chelsea to slice through us and get in behind us. And the lack of cohesion and the lack of discipline in terms of positions for, for some of our, or positionally, I should say, let me start that bit again. I found it alarming how easy Chelsea was was slicing through us. And I found it alarming that so many players in terms of their positioning were completely ill-disciplined throughout. And that worries me. I also keep going back in my mind and thinking, yeah, but is holding going to start every week when everyone's fit? Probably not. Is Marie going to start every week when everyone's fit? Probably not. Um, you know, will Chambers be there all the time? I don't think so. Will will that midfield of Mohamed El Nenny be there? No. Um, I, I, this is the thing. I, I'm trying to not overreact, and I think I've been quite good at not overreacting throughout the preseason so far. But this time today, in the flesh against decent opposition, I think I saw a lot of concern, things for concern, a lot of worries, and um, yeah, let's. Let's hope that we get some business done in the next couple of weeks that will will ease some of those fears and or ease some of those concerns and uh, stand Arsenal in good stead going into the new season. Right, we are going to leave it there. I said I was going to do 45 minutes, but we've done an hour. So there we go. A uh, bit of extra content for you. Hope you have enjoyed it. Uh, if you haven't already done so, make sure you check out Manscaped for their brilliant grooming products. If you click on the link in the description, it'll take you straight there. And if you enter our discount code, which is 19min20, you'll receive 20% off your order as well as free shipping. Want to become a member of the channel and support me to bring you more Arsenal-related content? You can do so by clicking in the membership link in the description. Check out the last video I posted, which is an update on the channel and what's going to be coming in the new season. That might help you make your decision as to whether you want to become a member or not. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. Click on the subscribe button. That bit's free. And if you wouldn't mind, please do hit the like button as well, because that really, really does help. We'll be back very, very soon with more Arsenal-related content. Until next time, take care of yourselves and stay safe. Bye-bye.
You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.